Good morning. There's a lot more good mornings in this service. That's good. I think the first service is still a little bit asleep at that point, right? I like it. I like it. Yeah, um, Rich said my name is Angel. He also said I'm a guest speaker, and I guess I am a guest speaker, but definitely not a guest here at CTK Ferndale. Uh, we love this place. We call it home. We've been able to be a part of it. Uh, since the beginning, and in fact, the other day, um, a couple weeks ago, I was at open house night at Horizon Middle School and walking through those halls, and I haven't been there uh, since the olden days when we would pull up in a truck and roll out all those road cases and set up church in Horizon Middle School and then tear it all down and and go back again, um, and that was a while ago. I can't believe how time passes so quickly. So I'm super excited to be here with you guys this morning. I have a question. Do any of you have a bucket list? You know, a, a bucket list is like a, an actual list of things that you're hoping to accomplish at some point in your life. I never had a bucket list until recently. Um, I mean, there were maybe things in my head, but I, I wouldn't have called it a bucket list or written it down or anything. Um, and maybe it's because I'm getting older or I'm realizing that life goes by really fast. Uh, but but I, I have a bucket list. It's, it's in my phone, on my notes app, and I'm starting to write stuff down. One of the things on that list is to go on a hot air balloon ride. I really want to go in a hot air balloon. I think that that would be so much fun. Um, another thing on that bucket list is, um, as my husband would put it, it's to jump out of a perfectly good airplane. So he does not see he does not see the sense in jumping out of a perfectly good airplane. Um, but at one point, we made a plan with our son, my son Matthew, our son Matthew, um, that we would, uh, around his 18th birthday, we would go skydiving. And uh, then in his senior year, we found out that we were expecting his baby sister. And so his 18th birthday came two weeks after his sister was born, and that didn't seem like a really good time to go skydiving. Uh, but here we are. Um, Abigail's in kindergarten now, so we're five years down the road, and we still haven't been skydiving. So it's on my bucket list. I really want to make good on that uh, one of these days. Another thing on my bucket list is to go to a tropical beach somewhere. Yeah, with, with my husband. I'll take him along, but um, <laughs> I really, really want to go to this tropical beach. And the truth is I've actually been to a tropical beach before, but it was a long time ago. When I was 15, I won a contest, and, and for winning this contest, I got an all-expense-paid Caribbean cruise. And it turned out that this cruise line that we were on owned a small slice of an island, and they called that Paradise Island. And let me tell you, it lived up to its name, okay? So you're on this huge cruise ship, and then you get onto this little boat that holds about 400 people. Um, you get on this little boat, and you, you go to this island, and as you, as you pull up to the island, you look out, and there's this white sand that just stretches for hours. You step off to the boat, off the boat, onto this white sand, and it, it, it's so soft. It's not like grainy or rocky like our beaches. It's this soft white sand, and it's super warm. And I just wanted to like lay down in the sand like a cozy down comforter or something. And then you look up from the sand, and, and the beach is lined with these palm trees and coconut trees, and they're stretching up into the sky, which is, of course, perfectly blue and lit by the warm sun. And it's just, it's masterful. And below the trees are these little thatch roof huts. 
And inside the huts are local people selling things like collected seashells and handmade jewelry and clothes that they've made. And the smells, the smells are incredible. There's, there's local food being cooked with all of the spices and flavors. There's tropical fruit and, and flowers that I've never smelled before. And the ocean air is perfect. And speaking of the ocean, the water the water is incredible. I started to wade out into the water, and, and it was this shade of blue-green perfection, but also crystal clear. And there were fish swimming all around me, fish that I thought only lived in fish tanks in Chinese restaurants. But it turns out there's real fish, and they were swimming around me, and they were so brilliantly colored, and some were striped, and some seemed tie-dyed, and some were almost polka-dotted, and the water was the perfect temperature. It was warm, but it wasn't too warm, and the waves were just sort of rolling by, lapping, nothing that was knocking me off balance. It was absolutely paradise, and I want to go back. But for those of you who have it on your bucket list, you don't have to go now, right? Because I described it to you in great detail. And that, that's just as good, except for that it's not just as good. And I definitely wouldn't settle for somebody else's experience if I could have my own. But this week, I was thinking about that when it comes to our faith, when it comes to our life with Christ. So often, that's exactly what we do. We hear it described in great detail. We maybe read about people in the Bible who have these incredible experiences with God. Or we, we think about people like Mother Teresa who really lives on the ragged edge and seems to have this knowing of God that goes beyond anything we've experienced. Some of us even have friends or family that have had these dynamic encounters with God and it seems to be so real for them. And we, we settle for living through their stories. We settle for hearing their experiences, and we forget that we could actually have our own. And I don't know if we settle because we think that those experiences are for a different time. Maybe, maybe back in the Bible time, God revealed himself to people in really powerful ways, but now he's kind of old and tired and he's more boring. Maybe that's what we think. Or, or maybe we think it's just for a certain specific group of people, but that really exciting, deep, abounding relationship with God that, that is so incredible is just, just for other people. For whatever reason, often we settle for a taste, right? We settle for something less than the realness that is the fullness of life in Christ. Or, or some of us, some of us, we, we've had that experience before. Like my trip to the Caribbean, we've been there once. We've tasted this, this exciting, full, real life that Christianity is supposed to bring. But, but it was a long time ago, and we haven't gotten back there. Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and life to the full. What Jesus is saying here is that, that life with him, that if we're followers of Jesus, our life is supposed to have a, a vitality beyond what is ordinary. The, the Greek word that's used in this, it's, it's a super abundance of life. I, I didn't know that was a word, like super abundance. It's like as you say it, you can feel it overflowing. Jesus came that we could have an overflowing, a super abundance of life, real life. But many of us, we settle for a substitute. 
something artificial or generic, some sort of less than form of Christianity. And then we wonder why we're sometimes defeated or disillusioned, disappointed, or just plain bored. We're just bored. Jesus came so that we, through faith in him, could experience eternal life. But if that's all there was to it, if it was just about eternity, if it was just about what happens after we died, then I think that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, pop, we'd be gone, and we could get on to experiencing that life. But I think that Jesus came for more than just what is to come. He came for what is now. He came so that we could live and experience him to the full, even, even here and now. Henry Blackaby in his book, Experiencing God, says real Christianity is not merely a religion. It's a relationship with a person. It's an intimate love relationship with God. And through this relationship, God reveals his will and invites you to join him where he's at work. When you obey, God accomplishes through you something only he can do. And doesn't that sound like something worth experiencing? A Christianity that's this intimate love relationship with God. One where God reveals his will to you and invites you to partner with him in what he's doing. God has an incredible plan for this world and he wants you to be a part of that plan. And that, talk about being something that's part of something that's bigger than yourself that's not just mundane. You could be a part of the big picture of what God's up to in the world. It doesn't sound boring, right? It doesn't sound plain or mundane. It doesn't sound like just spinning our wheels or being busy or filling the blanks in our life, but kind of wondering what it's all for. That's not how God intended us to live. God invites us into something better, something more full, something more purposeful. And like Henry Blackaby says, when you obey, God accomplishes through you something only he can do. So what if we could live life in such a way that when we look back, we go, wow, God. Wow, God. Wow, God, because we can see that we've lived life in such a way that things have been accomplished that only he can do. We've lived a life that's full and not plain and ordinary. That's the life that God invites us into. But if I'm totally honest, so often I don't really pursue that life. I settle for good enough. I settle for what is. I settle for living through other people's experiences. John 17:3 says, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. Eternal life is knowing God. Not just knowing about God, but knowing God. He invites us to real, alive relationship with him. So we all know that relationships, they come in degrees, right? For lack of a better word. Like we don't know everybody the same and everybody doesn't know us the same, right? I can look out in this room and I, I know some of you. I, I know your name. I could, I could pick you up out of a lineup if I had to, but let's hope you're never in a lineup. But if I had to, I could pick you out of a lineup, right? I know your name. I might know, I might know some little things about you or even 
a pet peeve or something that you had, right? These are people like maybe our kid's teacher or someone that works in the same building with us but maybe not on the same team, right? That level of knowing is called like being acquainted with somebody. But then there's people in the room that I know better than that, right? I know your name, yes, I could pick you up out of a lineup, but I even know some of your likes and your dislikes. I might know where you work or a little bit more about your family. We probably hang out together, at least casually, maybe after church or when our kids are playing, right? That, that level of knowing is, is called friendship, right? It's, it's it maybe even some family members, extended family members. It's, it's more than acquainted. You've, you've invested a little bit in this relationship that you have. And so there's friendship. But there's an even deeper uh, level of relationship, right? Hopefully each one of us have at least one person that knows us intimately, right? They know our hopes and our dreams, our fears, our doubts. As much as we allow ourselves to be known, we know that they want to know us. And though we may not feel completely known by them all the time, we know that there's a depth to our relationship, right? These are people who, um, if you don't see them for a while, you miss them. There are people who could order for you at a restaurant and not completely blow it and pick something you don't even like or are allergic to, right? There's been some time invested in your relationship, right? And these types of relationships are usually formed over time. They don't, they don't happen sort of instantaneously because there's some knowing that it takes, right? And we spend time together, but we're not just in the same place at the same time. We actually take an interest in each other. We ask questions. We want to know them more. The relationship grows as we share life together, maybe even go on adventures together. Sometimes we hit bumps in the road together, and all of those things help our relationship grow. And almost always, this kind of relationship in, involves some vulnerability, right? We have to risk that if they really know us, they might not like us. And we have to go out on a limb. But we've done that, and so the relationship grows, and it becomes deeper. The relationship is nur nurtured over time. And, you know, all of these degrees of relationship are true when it comes to knowing God, too. Eternal life is to know God and his son, Jesus. But know, know him how, right? Some of us know God. We're acquainted with him. We, we know his name. We know the Jesus story. We may believe that he is who he says he is. We might have put our faith and trust in God. We have salvation. But our relationship with God, is an, it's an acquaintance. It hasn't been nurtured very much yet. Some of us, we've nurtured our relationship with God a little more. We've, we've heard more sermons. We've, we've opened our Bible. We've read it. And, and through reading our Bible, we're learning some of God's likes and dislikes. We, know, we may know a bit more about his history, about who he is. We pray and we ask God for advice, and we usually try to take it, right? In that stage, we're friends with God. But God has made himself available to each one of us for even deeper relationship. God desires for us to truly know him, to really experience him, to have an intimate relationship with him that permeates every other part of our life. 
An intimate relationship with God is one where we know that he knows everything about us and we choose to be vulnerable and live real lives before him. It's a relationship that's nurtured through time spent together. Time spent getting to know God, getting to know him through his word, through teaching, through time spent in prayer, and through just living life with him, having adventures with God, through walking with him day in and day out. That is how we grow an intimate, deep, real, abiding, full relationship with God. Proverbs 8, 17 says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me find me. And Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. God's not hiding from us. He desires an intimate, real, personal, deep, alive relationship with each one of us. The Christian life is meant to be about more than being acquainted with God, even more than being friends with God. The Christian life really in its fullness is about being an intimate relationship with God, real and deep relationship. So let's pause right there for just a moment. I want to encourage you to think about your relationship with God. Are you acquainted with him? Are you friends with him? Or do you have a deep, intimate relationship with God? Here's the great news. Wherever we are in our relationship with God, there is more. He's unsearchable. He doesn't run out of depth. There's never an end to how much we can know him and be known by him. Wherever we are, there's more. There's more life that we can experience with him. And we don't have to settle for living vicariously through other people's experiences with God. We can have our own experiences and taste what the full life of Christ is supposed to be. Next week... Uh, Rich is going to talk about some of the ways that we can nurture our relationship with God. How do we get to know him more? How do we move from being acquainted with God to having this intimate relationship with him? And there's many ways to do that. Today, I want to unpack just one of those ways. And that is to go on an adventure with God. To go on an adventure with God. Now, exactly how do we end up on an adventure with God? And not just any adventure, um, but one that leads us to a place of knowing him more and experiencing that abundant life that Jesus said he came to bring. A couple weeks ago, a coworker of mine um, had been reading in Ephesians chapter 4, and he said, you know, can you, uh, to a group of us, he said, you know, I've been reading Ephesians 4, and there's some things sticking out for me, but I wonder what sticks out for you. And so he took a time to read and then offer feedback on what was sticking out. And this um, passage of scripture, what stuck out to me this time was verses 11 through 13 in Ephesians chapter 4, and they say this. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the teachers, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. 
Now, I've read this particular passage many times before. In fact, the very first message that I gave at a CTK ever a long time ago uh, was on this passage of Scripture. But I usually stop on Christ gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, and I stop there and I focus on the gifts, that God has given us all gifts. We have gifts. We've been gifted by God. And sometimes when I'm thinking about the fact that we've been given gifts, I I go on and I say, why did God give us gifts? And this passage tells us that he's given us gifts to build up the body of Christ and so that we can do works of service. And that makes a lot of sense. But for some reason, for some reason, I've never really thought about the rest of it. It doesn't just tell us that God gave us gifts and why he gave us gifts. It also tells us what happens when we use those gifts. It goes on to explain that as we do these works of service, we reach unity and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And if Jesus said in John 17, 3, that eternal life is knowing God and knowing Jesus, and he says in John 10, 10, that he came that we might have life and life to the full, then we experience God when we are using our gifts. Because this passage spells out for us that we experience eternal life, real life, by knowing God. And one of the ways that we get to know God is by using our gifts to serve. And it makes us clear that as we do that, we become mature. So if we want to experience the fullness of Christ, we find where God's at work and we join him in that work. We go on an adventure with him. We experience God when we use our gifts and serve, when we get out of the bleachers and step onto the playing field, when we gear up and we put our own neck on the line. It means leaving the comfort of our cheering section and putting ourselves out there. And I was really, really hoping that I could stand up here today and tell you that you could stay in your comfort zone and you could pick a convenient way to serve and that you would experience God and all the fullness that Jesus talks about because that's what most of us try to do. But when I read my Bible, I'm just not finding examples of comfortable or convenient service not the kind that leads to the full life that Jesus is talking about. And not a perfect life, but a life that is perfectly fulfilling. For example, I look at when Jesus called the disciples. When he called the disciples to follow him, he he didn't say, hey guys, have me over for dinner every Wednesday night and I'm going to do great things for you. It's not what Jesus said. He said, He said, leave your livelihood, leave your job, your home, your community, your family, leave everything and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they left everything and they got a front row seat for Jesus's miracles. In fact, sometimes they got to be a part of the miracles that Jesus performed. And he made them fishers of men. In fact, it's because of their testimony that we sit here today. They went out, they started the church, they told people about Jesus, but it didn't happen in their comfort zone. 
And I really love the story of Moses. Now, there's a lot of stories of Moses. We got the whole burning bush thing and the plagues in Egypt thing. There's a lot of Moses stories. But one of my favorite ones is the parting of the Red Sea. But as I was thinking about that, I thought, I so cheat. I so cheat when I read this story because I know the end, right? But if I put myself in Moses' shoes, this story is not so cool anymore. Because God tells Moses, get my people out of Egypt. And so Moses does that. And the people are out of Egypt, the women, the children, the men, everything that they own. And here they are, and they're out of Egypt. And then Pharaoh changes his mind. Pharaoh wants his slave labor back, and so he sends his army, the chariots, the swords, the armor, to go get those Israelites. And if I'm Moses, that means here are all these people who have followed me, and their lives are in my hands. And I am standing at the edge of a sea with nowhere to go and nowhere to hide. And I'm thinking, if there's an eject button, If there's a redo, if there's a reset, if there's any way out of this circumstance, Moses would have probably taken it in that moment. But there was no way out, and God said, Moses, put that stick in the sand. I'm sure Moses thought, really, God? A stick in the sand. Sure, that ought to take on Pharaoh's army, no problem, right? But he does it, and the sea parts, and the story goes in the Bible, and we all go, oh, that's awesome. But Moses was a human being like you and me, and I'm guessing in the moment it didn't seem that awesome, right? Not until they were on the other side and the waves came crashing down and Pharaoh's army was floating. Not until then could Moses breathe a sigh of relief. He was human. And what about Peter? Okay, Peter got to walk on water. That's one of his claims to fame. But can you imagine, he was in that boat, right? And he was in that boat with other disciples. So do you know what the disciples must have been saying to Peter as he decides to get out of the boat and try to walk on water? They would say, hey, Peter, are you out of your mind? Peter, get back in the boat. Peter, I don't know if you know this or not, but you actually can't walk on water, right? Peter, you're making a fool of yourself. Peter, what if you fail? But even in the face of all of that, Peter got out of the boat. And because he got out of the boat, he got to walk on water. He had a real experience with God that was incredible because he got out of the boat. And can you imagine how jealous the disciples were who were sitting in the comfort of their boat watching Peter walk on water? They probably wished that they could walk on water too, but they stayed comfortable. And then it's no surprise what happens to Peter next because he's a person like you and me. Peter gets scared. And that happens to us too. Sometimes we step out of our comfort zone and we're like, okay, God, I'm all in this with you. And then Peter looked around at the wind of the waves and he freaked out. And sometimes we freak out too and he lost his faith and he began to sink. But Jesus was right there and he gave him his hand and they got in the boat. Peter walked on water, but not from the comfort of the boat. He had to step out. Each of these people, Peter and Moses and the disciples, and truthfully, countless others, most of whose names we don't know and will never know, they've had real relationship with God. They've experienced life to the full that Jesus came to offer. But it wasn't easy. 
and it wasn't comfortable. So then why in the world would we sign up for one of these adventures? They sound like one of those like, let's go summit Mount Everest type of adventures, not the let's go floating down a tropical island adventure, right? Well, there's a young man in the Bible who I think was asking the same question. In Matthew 19, 16 through 26, we read the story of a young man who had, who had this question. He came to Jesus and he said, whether he knew it or not, he was saying, hey, Jesus, how can I really know you, right? Because remember, Jesus said that eternal life is to know God. So really, when he says, how can I inherit eternal life? He's saying, Jesus, how can I really know you? And starting in verse 16, we read, just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is good. If you want eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. And Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? So I find it interesting that Jesus says, hey, do these things. And then rather than the guy go, I've done them. Awesome. Okay, thanks for your answer. He says, wait, I'm still missing something. It's almost like he said, I've done that religious thing. I know the stories. I know what to do and what not to do. But it still feels empty. It still feels less than the fullness that you you promise. So, so really, Jesus, there's got to be something more. And in verse 21, Jesus answers, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven and then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. And then Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. That's a brutal story. It's brutal because I think most of us can identify with this rich young man. We might not feel monetarily rich. Maybe we don't know how we're going to pay the power bill this month, but we're comfortable. And so we can identify with this rich young man, and he wants to experience life to the full. He wants to know what is it that makes life truly satisfying. But when the time comes to be uncomfortable in order to experience that full life, he went away sad. Sad because he would rather be comfortable than experience real life, the life that God intended for them. He was settling for a substitute, and that was sad, but he wasn't willing to give up his comfort to experience something more. Jesus says, look, if you are blessed with comfort, then this is going to be a tough proposition. You have a lot to lose when you make this trade. You're going to have to believe that you can trust me. You're going to have to decide if you believe that eternal life, real life, full life, satisfying life that I have to offer is worth the discomfort than you're, that you're going to experience along the way. And I'm so glad that the story doesn't end there. Because in verse 25 and 26, the Bible leaves us with some hope. 
Left to our own, our own, we may choose comfort every time and miss out on the real life that God is offering us, but we're not left to our own. Verse 25 says, when the disciples heard this, right, that it's easier for an, a camel to go through the eye of a needle, like a sewing needle, um, than for a rich man to get into heaven. When they heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. It's not easy to give up our comfort, but with God all things are possible. And I don't know what your next step out of your comfort zone is. I don't know where God's at work around you and inviting you to join him in that work. Jesus told the rich young ruler to sell everything that he had and follow him. That was his path to real life with Christ. But there's an adventure waiting for you too. One that will allow you to experience life to the full. One translation of the Bible says, not just life, but life that is truly life. But it will require you to take one step at a time out of your comfort zone. For some of you, that first step is just saying, all right, I've been grappling with this Jesus thing for a while, but I'm going to put my faith and trust that Jesus is who he says he is, and that's my next step. For others, you're struggling with that sin that so easily entangles us, and your next step out of your comfort zone is to break that bond of sin with Jesus' help and say no to that and choose life in Christ. For some, your next step has to do with your finances. Maybe God's asking you to stretch yourself or even deny yourself in order to give more significantly that, to something that he is up to. Or it could be time. You might have to give up something that you really enjoy doing in order to be available to do something that God is at work in. And sometimes this comfort zone that we have to give up has to do with our relationships. Sometimes we have to step out of our comfort zone and have relationships with people who are very different than us. Maybe even people that aren't that fun to be around. God is at work. He's at work all around us. But in order to join him in that work, we're going to have to say yes, one step out of our comfort zone at a time. The yes that led me out of my comfort zone came in August 2004 when we decided to invite a 12-year-old girl to come and live with us. And unbeknownst to us, that yes out of my comfort zone this far would become a series of yeses which would take me way, way, way out of my comfort zone. That yes started a journey that we're still on to today. We didn't know that that yes would lead to us becoming foster parents. But 13 years and 18 precious kiddos later, we're still discovering what it means to experience God in the adventure. It's been crazy. It's been complicated. It has been heart-wrenching and often, yes, it's been uncomfortable. It's also been the most satisfying and purposeful and abundant life that I could ever have imagined. Because in that place, way, way out of my comfort zone, 
I have experienced God in ways that I could never have experienced him if I just depended on my own strength and did things that I could accomplish in my own power. God has done things through us that we know are all him. And I know that along the way I've missed some opportunities too. Opportunities where God invited me to step out of my comfort zone, to give up something that was comfortable or convenient in order to partner with him in what he was doing. And I chose my comfort. But the good news is the invitation doesn't expire. God does not give up on inviting us into this adventure with him. I don't know how the story of the rich young ruler ends, but I'd like to think that at some point he came to realize that that the comfort that he was living in paled in comparison to real life, real life with Jesus. This world has a whole lot to offer. Right? There are so many things that provide temporary comfort, satisfaction, joy. It's easy, even in the church, to serve and give and live just enough to experience a glimpse or a taste of the abundant life, but to never truly experience it. Because in order to experience the fullness of life in Christ, we have to be willing to leave our comfort zone. We have to find where God is at work around us and go all in to be a part of the work that he's doing. And it's in that place of faith, in that place of service, in that place of trust that we really experience life that is real life. We experience God in the most profound ways. And by all means, we have the ability to choose to settle for less. And we can be comfortable. But God has so much more in store for us if we'll go on the adventure with him and say yes. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Lord, I don't know what adventure you're inviting each person in this room on, but I do know that you're inviting them on an adventure. God, I know that Jesus came so that we could have life that is truly life, so that we could have life that is full, that is really fulfilling. And God, religion doesn't get us there. Religion that's just a set of habits or even beliefs or behaviors, it doesn't get us there. But real relationship with you, real relationship with you is where we will experience that. God, we want to know you more. We want to be more than acquainted with you. We want to be more than friends with you. God, we want to go all in with you, seeking you and finding you when we seek you with all of our hearts. And God, we want to say yes. We want to say yes to getting out of our comfort zone because we know that on the other side of that, we will experience you in ways that we've never experienced you before. Help us not to settle comfort comfortably in the boat, comfortable on the shore. God, you've called us out on the water. God, we want to experience life with you, real life. Help us to do that this week. In Jesus' name, amen. So good. I hope you've been challenged this morning. Man, it's so easy to settle, isn't it? So easy to settle. 
Uh, my friend Derek, he's been teaching uh, myself and a bunch of others who have been part of a Monday night leadership class, some, just some leadership lessons. And one of the things that he says is whenever you experience the reality of God, it's always on the backside of risk and being caught by Jesus. And it's so good. If you want to experience real life, which we heard this morning is found in knowing God and knowing who he is, it happens as, as you follow God kind of off, off the edge of that boat, so to speak, into wherever it is that he's leading you. So, so where is God leading you? Where is God leading you? I, I encourage you to have the courage to say, yes, Jesus, I'll follow you. I'll take that step, whatever that looks like.